Hi, I'm Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned, and what they believe will be the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias with Digital River. And wherever you check your headlines these days, you can't escape some of the biggest stories happening in e-commerce right now. Supply chain, labor costs, cross-border, all of these things that my next guest is at the epicenter of, and I'm really excited to have a conversation. Uh, David Tu is the president of DCL Logistics, a Bay Area company with over 40 years of delivering uh, for clients with complex distribution requirements, which puts Dave at the center of all the action. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, let's start with uh, DCL, a company that um, has been around a very long time. I know them, obviously, you guys very well, given the, the same origins uh, around software. But uh, would you mind introducing us to your company? And then yeah. uh, we'll dig a little bit into you and your background as well. Yeah. Uh, again, and, uh, with DCL, we're a um, DCL Logistics. We're a fulfillment provider, uh, omni-channel fulfillment provider, wh- which works with uh, high-growth brands. Uh, we were founded 40 years ago. Uh, my father started the business, actually. We were founded 40 years ago as a diskette duplicator. So some people ask, what does DCL stand for? It stands for Disk Copy Labs. So we were a manufacturer of diskettes. Obviously, nobody nobody gets physical software anymore. And we kind of evolved into being a fulfillment provider for high-tech, healthcare, other vertical brands. Fantastic. And you did share that your dad was the founder of the company. And... uh, you know, I, I really appreciate your background um, that you had yeah. before you took took a role at the company. You want to share a little bit about um, your experience and the background you bring to DCL? Yeah, I mean, I could kind of start with uh, my career path. I, um, you know, went to school down in Southern California, uh, graduated and uh, worked at the Boeing company, the big aerospace company in various finance roles. Spent a few years there and uh, decided I didn't want to be in Southern California and kind of moved back to the Bay Area where my roots are and um, uh, worked in investment banking kind of during the the dot-com heydays. Did that for a few years before I went to business school. Uh, Went to business school, London Business School um, in Europe. And my dad approached me and said, hey, I'm going to hang it up pretty soon. Do you want to come and join and lead the family business? And uh, you know, made the trek back to the U.S. and joined the family business. Obviously, it's a lot different than working at a Fortune. You know, my experience was working at Fortune 100 companies and working in a small kind of entrepreneurial business was far different than anything I had done in my career. But it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, the impact you can make as a decision maker at a small business is, is great. Um, and so I've had various roles at DC. I've, I've run sales. I've run operations. We had a we have a small print business which I ran before, and now I'm president of DCL. My brother joined the company about a couple of years ago. He has you know he has 20 years of media sales and strategy background. 
Um, so I think we complement each other really well and we kind of divide, divide the business and I run operations and technology and, you know, all the, all the, all the dirty work and Brian, my brother, um, runs sales, marketing and client services. Excellent. Well, you make it sound yeah. like it's a small business when you, when you <laughs> talk about it like that. Uh, you know, this is a company that ships over, you know, two and a half unit, two and a half million units a day. Can you give us a little bit more on the size and scale of DCL and, and uh, maybe even share some customers you work with um, that would be common use cases that, that might be uh, our audience might, might care about? Yeah. I mean, um, to give you guys a sense of scale, we have, you know, we have five facilities, five, five facilities in the U S across, across, uh, across different regions. We're opening up our sixth warehouse in the Northeast Pennsylvania. We also have global locations in Canada and Europe, um, across the network of, uh, facilities. We ship, you know, anywhere from 20 to 60,000 orders a day. So there's a, there's a wide swing and we ship a lot of, you know, direct, direct to consumer orders as well as B2B. Obviously, when you ship B2B, we're shipping, we could be shipping millions of units a day. I think out of one of our facilities, we average about 1.5 million units a day. So, um, but, you know, there are wild, wild swings daily, especially during this time. Yeah, that's super helpful. What I'm really interested uh, to kind of get deep in with you is yeah. some of the things you've seen from your unique perspective. Um, you know, obviously in 2020, we had the, the, the supply chain challenges around like things like toilet paper. In 2021, um, there were other factors that contributed to supply chain. What, uh, what, what are the brands feeling here? Is this a scenario where they saw this coming and they all overordered, which created a big supply chain challenge? Was this certain parts like uh, chips or other things that drove it? What, what, did, what did you see? I just love to read a riff a little bit on, on what you saw in 2020 and 2021 uh, in, the, in the eyes of, of logistics. Yeah, it's really funny that you mentioned toilet paper, Jason, because I was just at Costco a month ago looking for toilet paper and I couldn't get any because they were out of stock. They said you have to come in in the mornings to get your toilet paper. So it's just, it's just kind of really fascinating that, you know, you look at GDP, gross domestic product, at, we're at an all-time high. Uh, stock market is soaring, or at least it was soaring over, you know, soaring before the last couple of months. Uh, interest rates are really low. So you look at these numbers and some of these numbers look like the economy is, you know, you know, everyone's really optimistic and it's a bull market, but you, you know, you go to the stores and you can't find stuff. So it's, uh, there's a contradiction there. Um, you know, and, and we're all living in it right now. We have COVID going on right now, but I think it, it preceded COVID. It started with the, the, the China U S tariff wars. And then you have the impact of COVID and everything that's happened with COVID. And there's a, there's a myriad of factors. There's a myriad of impacts there. You talk about, you know, labor shortages due to COVID, you know, people getting COVID, people out because of COVID, government subsidies. So people want to stay home. And at the same time, you have this, you know, everyone's staying home because of COVID, remote working, people are not going out. So you have people getting habituated to online shopping. So there's this like surge of demand happening at the same time we have these issues with labor. So that's the imbalance that's going on. And I was just, um, you know, it was funny. I was talking to somebody, somebody two days ago and I thought COVID has only been going on for a year, but I, you look now and it's actually been two years, you know, it's kind of, 
<laughs> it's been two years. So, you know, our customers are feeling the impact. We, we work with about a hundred different brands and they are feeling the themes that I talked about. Um, you know, there, there's inventory shortages, there's component shortages out there. They can't get inventory in, but at the same time, there's a surge of demand. So there's this huge backlog situation that, that, that we're feeling, right? A backorder situation that we're feeling. And DCO, we're kind of in the, in the niche of being a last mile provider. So we're at the end of supply chain. So, you know, so to speak, we're left holding the bag and we're faced with all this variability and demand because, you know, there's a built up backorder situation. We don't have the orders and all of a sudden we, you know, we get inventory in, shipments coming in, we have to fulfill 100,000 100, orders within a, within a couple of days. And that's tough for us because we're, we're facing the same situations our brands are feeling with COVID. So we have warehouse workers that are out, I think, right now with Omicron and sweeping through our warehouses. We have 50 cases of COVID happening. So, you know, you have to be super flexible during this time um, and, and, and super agile. Well, you, you, uh, you're leading me to the next question, which is, yeah. really, which is really centered around how do you balance it? Um, you know, I... I imagine that you guys are really feeling a lot of pressure and your industry is not necessarily DCL specifically, but you've got the expectations around how quick things are supposed to get to consumers. You know, Amazon kind of set the, the two days is, is now the norm or less. Um, but at the same time, you have challenges with labor. You have challenges with uh, people being out with COVID and you have supply chain challenges. So, and, and um, the cost of labor. So, how does a company like DCL look at things like automation and robotics to really help you meet the needs of the market moment um, facing all of those pressures? I have to imagine that's one of the big levers you pull. Yeah, um, you know, it is. I think automation is always a theme for, for what we are trying to do. We're trying to cut out labor as much as possible. Obviously, with automation, it requires a lot of planning and design work. And you have to fit, you have to really fit the unique requirements of your customers into the, into the automation that you have, right? And as a 3PL, we have to be super flexible. And sometimes that means, sometimes that means fitting, fitting our customers' needs within our automation if we can and standardization. But it also means like not necessarily like, not necessarily like, uh, like just, just depending on automation to make it happen. So um, you know, there's still a lot of warehouse labor that goes into how we, how we get products out the door every day, but there is an automation roadmap that we have at DCL. We've put in more automation in our facilities than ever before. We have more conveyance in our warehouses than ever before. And a couple of years ago, we launched, um, we launched some very interesting robotics, uh, that are able to basically, um, have a cobot, which is a robot arm picking orders off of a shelf and putting them in a box. So um, that's a long-term automation uh, plan for DCL as well. But I know there's been a lot of investment in automation in the industry. You know, people talk about discrete robot picking, you got the Locust Robotics, you got the Six River Systems. Um, there's a lot of automation and investment that's going in and it's gonna be very exciting for the future. So related to that, you know, you, yeah. earlier you mentioned finding customers who fit your robotics. Does that mean like size of a package, the dimensions? Does it mean weight? Does it mean what it's, uh, you know, what type of product it is? Kind of yeah. unpack for us what kind of the ideal customer profile is for, for DCL and, and as yeah. it relates to your previous statements around robotics. 
Yeah. I mean, we, we're, Jason, we're an omni-channel provider, omni-channel fulfillment provider. So we ship, we, we not only ship direct to consumer, but we ship, you know, we ship to resell, retailers, we ship to wholesalers, we do small B2B. So we, we, we have decided as our um, kind of mission um, to be open and available to ship, you know, all, all different types of sales channels. Now, when it comes to the robotics, our e-commerce business is growing, as, as you can imagine. And so, um, you know, we have invested heavily in this side. And as, as I talked about the robots, the robots can, you know, obviously they have, we have to standardize what we're picking out of the, what we're picking with the robots. So it's typically small form factor. You know, you're talking about a shoebox size or less. Um, it can't be greater than a couple pounds. Um, and it can't be, um, uh, and, and obviously the SKU set size has to be like maybe 200 SKUs or less. So but we have customers that fit that profile very well and fit in, fit in with that within the robots. But we also have customers that, you know, have, have boxes that are bigger than a shoebox size. So we're very flexible in who we work with. Right on. Well, you guys are in a, a relatively crowded space. How does DCL stand out in that crowd? Is it service levels? You know, I, yeah. I look at your uh, website yeah. and you talk about the fact that you're a modern 3PL. Is, yeah. is, that, is that how you stand out? Is that how you differentiate? Can you unpack that for us? Yeah. I mean, if, if people are looking at 3PLs, there's a wide variety of 3PLs out there. And it's very hard to differentiate between one 3PL and another. You have you know, regional 3PLs that just focus, that just have like one facility. And then you have, you know, uh, facil- uh, you have 3PLs that have multiple facilities within the U.S. and then you have global 3PLs. So, and then, and then what, you know, these 3PLs market to different um, types of um, sales channels. You have 3PLs that only handle direct consumer. You have 3PLs that just handle pallet in, pallet out. So it's more of a BDB play. We've, We've purposely positioned ourselves to be able to handle both direct to consumer and B2B, which is important distinction. And we only work with what we believe are high growth brands. We want to, we believe that we really believe that the shipping experience is not commoditized and that we're an extension of the operation of our brands. So we feel like, you know, operations requires a lot of planning and hands-on. So we only work with hundred different brands that are high growth. And we have a, we've invested heavily in our client services group and they are operators as well. So if needed, especially during COVID, they're on the floor shipping boxes, they're project managers, they have daily communications with our customers, like going through operational planning, demand and supply planning. So it's very hands-on. And then on top of that, we've invested heavily on our, like our front-end systems for our customers. We have a UI, which is called eFactory which gives our customers insight into all the activities that are handled, that are, that are happening at our warehouses. You know, these are things like how much inventory inventory do I have in real time? What are the shipping activities that are going on? How many shipments have I shipped? And you can even do things like generate RMAs directly in our system. So um, it's kind of a tie between the physical and virtual world. And our customers are in there actively like, running eFactory every single day, basically logging in on the morning and keeping it open, you know, 24 hours. I'd love to hear how you take some of the complexities of being a 3PL, like uh, peak planning uh, and replenishment and those certain things, 
and how you drive, maybe it's an artificial intelligence or machine learning or some yeah. way that you make your clients better because they yeah. use DCL. Can you tell me more about your peak planning process? Yeah, I think, I think data is everything, right? So we have a history of our customers' data and it's available to them as well. We have the same information they do, but we actually have canned reports and tools that allow our customers to really look at what their shipping history has been and I kind of bounce that off of their current inventory levels and determine how much stock they really want to keep, you know, is, you know, so that's really helpful. I mean, actually physically getting the inventory into the building is one thing, but at least we provide that artificial intelligence so, so they can plan their, their, their inventory levels, you know, internally at DCL, we do the same thing. So we have all the same tools for our own internal planning. So you're talking about, you know, especially during the last couple of years where there's been a surge of demand, we, we, we forecast what our volumes are at DCL across, we aggregate all our customers' volume and look at what the history and the trends have been over the previous years and like determine what the volume requirements are gonna be for the rest of the year. And that's a constant iteration process. So we tweak that monthly. Obviously, that. With, obviously with COVID, it's been, it's been more difficult, but now we have two years of data to look at. I'm sure your economics and banking background probably help you create some tuning mechanisms there to get that better and better every day. For sure. For sure. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, um, you, you've mentioned growth brands a number of times in our conversation yep. that you guys yeah. really focus on growth brands. You focus on services, you focus on having a modern uh, 3PL. Why is growth brands such an important part of who you serve and how, and how you service them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about growing our own business at the same time. So we want to work with, I think it's exciting to work with growth brands. Um, and, and, and for DCL, the way we look at our business is um, the biggest constraint Jason to our growth is really space. Obviously there's not an infinite amount of infinite amount of space. We can always build more space, but it takes time to, to spin up another warehouse. So we, we really look at the velocity of the storage that we have in our warehouse. And we encourage our customers to look at that as well. We want inventory turning just as much as our brands want in, in, higher inventory turns. So working with high growth brands, obviously that really helps us. The smaller the, the, smaller the physical product as well really helps us just because you know, it doesn't take, us, take up as much space in our warehouse. Dave, given where you sit in the industry, yeah. your background, all that, I would love for you to get your crystal ball out and forecast where the industry is going and how DCL yeah. is going to stay at the leading edge of, of your industry. Yeah. Well, I think it all, it all comes down to like looking at the stats of the industry and what's happening. I think at DR is at the epicenter of it as well, as much as D DCL. Um, if you look at pre pandemic um, e-commerce sales as a percentage of retail sales was 15%. And it took a decade to get from 10 to 15%. But in a period of like a few months, we go from 15% now, now e-commerce sales is 20%. So I think, I think just looking at that, everybody's playing catch up. And what does that mean? Um, that means that everybody has to put, everyone has to invest in their own business. And for 3PLs, it's getting more space. So as I mentioned before, we're spinning up new warehouses. We have a warehouse going up in, York, Pennsylvania, um, and we're going live in June. 
And then we're also looking at other locations throughout the U.S. as well to like keep up with that growth. But besides that, we, can, we have to continue to innovate, right? And that means like on the technology side. So, you know, we need to continue to innovate on our e-factory tool for our customers. We need to be able to have more and multiple connections to different sales channels at DCL. That means having, you know, more EDI partnerships, having more connections to drop, uh, drop to, to be able to drop ship uh, through different sales channels. So we do have a, we do have our own EDI platform, which we provide to customers because sometimes it's hard to use a third party. I know a lot of brands want to, you know, typically they don't have a lot of resources and they want to work with one partner. So we having an EDI platform allows our customers to quickly and continuously connect to multiple sales channels. So David, you're you're hitting on a on a really important theme. A lot of brands think about D to C in a, in a very broad way. They think about it as their physical retail stores. They think about it as their as yeah. their potentially their omni channel. They think about it as their online. How does how does that continued expansion as well as international play into where you're taking this business? Yeah, I mean it. I think the point is even more important today with what's going on with COVID and the current like inventory issues. Um, you know, um, the theme across all our customers is that, that their inventory is really lean, Jason. So, you know, how do you, how do you, because their inventory, inventory is lean, how do you optimize for what you have? And I think some of the conventional ways of shipping, um, they have to look at different alternatives. Um, we, you know, we ship, you know, we still ship retail to some of the major retailers now, and that's a lot of bulk shipping, um, pallet in, pallet out. Um, Amazon is being the biggest retailer in the world. There's, we ship more to FBA than any other channel. But now more than ever, because inventory is so lean, you have to look at there are different alternatives. So maybe look at Amazon FBA. Maybe you should consider like fulfillment my merchant. So you're not, you're not tying up all your inventory, but you're shipping, you're having a third party ship drop ship drop ship to Amazon instead of bulk. And the same goes with like retailers, instead of shipping bulk to retail, can you consider like drop shipping, spinning up those connections quickly, keeping your inventory really lean, especially in today's world and like drop shipping from a third, from a fulfillment hub. And then the same goes for international. I think it's the same thing, Jason. It's, it's, you know, when you consider international, I, I, I think, um, you know, International is always international is always something that's really important, uh, but it's not critical. A lot of customers want to tackle the domestic U.S. versus being the biggest like e-commerce market, and international always gets swept 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 to the side or on the back burner. Um, but then the conversation always comes up: What should I do internationally? Should I put inventory in like in region uh, in region hubs across the world? Or should I ship it directly from a local or domestic U.S. site internationally? And I think now more than ever, customers have to consider, is it worth, you know, the inventory carrying costs of having inventory in multiple regions? And now you have to, you have, to have the resources and the scale to manage that. Or do you want to ship it from one location, keep your inventory really lean in the state of COVID and ship from a domestic location? Because cross-border is getting easier and easier with uh, tools like DR. Right. Uh, you're putting your finger right on the issue. Uh, uh, every brand that we talk to um, has that same choice. Uh, do I put my inventory in the region 
focus on the carrying costs and the challenges, you know, if you're not really great at uh, planning, you may have way too much stock in Amsterdam and not enough in California. And that, that's lost sales. And so it's really uh, the supply chain challenges have really focused companies on asking the hard questions and really making the tough decisions as to how to serve their global customers. I, I love your answer. I think it's right. Well, so yeah. forecast, keep forecasting for me. So, um, you know, uh, by the stats I pay attention to, the macro level ones uh, in November of this year, uh, the shelves were stocked at 89% and pre-COVID it was 90. So for all intents and purposes, for the mass amounts of products in the, in the United States, we were almost at pre-COVID levels with regards to the stock outages and things of that nature. That's not universal. It obviously other product categories have other challenges, especially the ones manufactured in places like China. But what have you seen in terms of the supply chain? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? And you know, at what point do you kind of think we're at parity prior to a lot of this stuff kind of kind of happening? And and I think your earlier point was right. This is not one or two things that happened that put us in this position. It's a whole bunch of things that have kind of culminated in a situation where we're at today. So would love for you to forecast out uh, where the supply chain, when it, when it gets to a point of, of kind of parity to where we used to be. Jason, I wish I had the answer to that, but I, 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 I think that's the, that's the, that's the question that everybody's trying to solve. If you look at the data, Jason, and you're right, when is this going to get better? But if you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at the international data, I was looking at some data the other day, um, which measures the point of origin, the number of days from point of origin to the to the destination, and that that the the number of days continues to get wider and it continues to spread, and the forecast is not getting better. So, which was surprising to me. Um, so we're going to continue to be in this predicament for the foreseeable future. I don't even know when it's going to get better, um, and a lot of this is stemming because China, you know, which is we do a lot, a lot of work with technology brands and China is the epicenter for manufacturing for technology. China, you know, China, every, everyone's dependent on China. And then the, there's that the component shortage, you know, the components power everything technology. And there's only a few foundries in the world that manufacture components. So they're short. So that, that is the main issue. And I don't see, I don't see that getting any better anytime soon. I think Jason, I think domestically, it's getting better. And I say that because obviously we have a really good feel with, with, with what's happening capacity wise in the U S I think we've been really agile in building capacity. When you look at the carriers, like the major carriers that everybody knows, USPS, FedEx, um, uh, UPS, they're all, they're all quickly trying to play catch up. So they're investing in infrastructure and by infrastructure, I mean, they're investing in, more trucking capacity. They're investing in more fulfillment hubs. Um, and, you know, but I think still to be, I think still in this day and age, I think the philosophy should be, you got to be really agile. So what we've done is we've met with all our carriers ahead of time. And, you know, we don't want to be dependent on any one primary carrier. We need to have alternative carriers. And there's a lot of options out there. So you got, you talk about the primary carriers, UPS, FedEx, USPS. But there's a lot of alternative carriers out there that um, that are more regional based. So we have spread 
our capacity across multiple carriers because we don't want to be stuck in this predicament. And we did this far ahead of time in 2021. And we're, you know, we're better prepared for 2021 dealing with it. So I think, you know, domestically, what I'm saying is domestically, I think we've done a really good job. Um, everybody, I think internationally, we still have a lot of issues that we have to solve. And I don't see it getting better, any better in, in the foreseeable future. Yeah. So the, uh, well, I, I think uh, we're both a little biased on the industries that we serve as well. Uh, consumer yeah. electronics have a reliance on a chip that I think is, I think your point is well-placed. You know, if you spend any sort of time on the DCL website, you'll find that you guys really take care of a lot of the challenges or, or operational issues. Uh, so brands don't have to worry about it. You know, things yeah. like pallet capacity, we covered peak performance and planning, um, dim weights and things like carrier optimization. Yeah. So what is carrier optimization and how does DCL really use your infrastructure to maximize uh, how you deal with carriers? Yeah, well, carry optimization simply means being able to meet the delivery dates of the expected delivery dates and doing it in the, the, the lowest cost effective way you can. So, for example, if I'm shipping a product like 50 miles from my house, um, you may want to ship it. You may want to ship it overnight next day air, but it could actually be received like ground residential. Um, so, so you're wasting money if you're shipping it next day air. We have facilities throughout the U.S. and we have customers that are stocking inventory in all those facilities. So, and we do that and our shipping logic is able to route the order to the warehouse that's going to get the product to the destination that's closest to the warehouse. Very simple. I mean, and then, you know, kind of behind the scenes, what's happening as I spoke to, we're doing a lot of carrier capacity planning. So carriers this year, especially this year during COVID, they have put caps on a lot of you know, shippers. So we had to understand what the caps were and like have alternative backup plans to be able to meet the capacity because the capacity and the, the shipping capacity has, has there's a lot of peaks and valleys this year. So we, you know, we had to ship UPS, FedEx. If you're shipping UPS and FedEx, we had to be able to like route the orders to the carrier that had capacity for that day. And so this is a dynamic thing that's like iterating every single day for us. And that's why agility, as you said earlier, is so important as to, you know, why people would pick DCL. You guys are actively managing the situation on the ground to make sure that you are meeting the needs of the customers. That's, that's perfect. Yep. So let's shift gears a little bit to some of our traditional questions we ask. Um, yep. Before I do, actually, um, I'd love for you to maybe name a few names, customers who are references, examples. Yeah. Uh, of clients that DCL works with. So our audience can really say, oh, okay, you work with them. I've probably gotten products from your company before. Uh, can you share some names? Yeah. I mean, we, um, some of the names that you guys would recognize are Therabody, which is a shared client, which is a shared client of DR. If you guys don't know who Therabody is, they make a massage gun. They have commercials on during all the football games. Um, so that is a super cool product. I have one myself. I do as uh, we well. Work, Amazing product. We work with clients in the health and beauty space. So Willow is a smart breast pump that we ship. We work with Kinsa, which is a smart thermometer. Uh, and then we have some of these emerging kind of like entrepreneurial, like digital native brands that only ship like e-commerce only. Companies like uh, Magic Spoon, which makes keto cereal. Uh, 
Starface, which makes stickers for acne. And there's this whole, there's this whole like emergence of these digital native brands that are coming out of like regions like New York and in LA that, um, that we're shipping for. So those are just, those are, those are to name a few, but again, we ship for about a hundred different brands. Yep. I, I, uh, I really like some of your clients were really stars of consumer electronics show this year in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, the one that stands out for me was Ergo. These guys had yeah. a great booth, really interactive. I see what you mean by growth brands, because you can see these guys early at CES and they may have a really little booth. And the next year you see them, they're significantly bigger and, uh, and on, and, you know, and so on. So, uh, yeah. very cool that you're a part of these brands who just on the face appear to obsess over experience. And yeah. because they do that, they land at a company like DCL. Yeah. I think, I think Jason, one of the things I didn't mention is we work with a lot of these high growth brands because they need a lot of support. Their supply chain is not necessarily mature and their, they, their product, they keep on doing a lot of development on their product. So they need a lot of support to be able to visit our facilities. And, you know, if, you know, they have a lot of projects, they have a lot of uh, revs on their product. So they need to come in and like, look at the product, perhaps repackage their product, test their product, do a lot of quality audits on their product. So we have a very open and flexible policy for, their, for our customers to be able to visit us and iterate on things that they need to do, product development and those kind of things. So that's, that's very that, cool. That, yep. So one of the things we have as a tradition on this call is on this podcast is we ask mm-hmm. folks, uh, you know, who, who delivers a great e-commerce experience and why? Um, would love your take on that. And, you know, if the answer can be tied to some of the related experiences as, as it relates to kind of order management or fulfillment or things of that nature, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm thinking about something that's very helpful for, um, for your listeners here. I mean, the obvious one is Amazon, but that's obvious. I mean, who doesn't like, you can find anything on Amazon and who doesn't like free shipping and something you can get within a couple hours. That's the obvious one. I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of shopping myself, Jason, but my wife does. Um, but I recently bought something on a, I just thought it was really interesting on, I, I've never, I've never purchased from this before, but it's a company called Brown Fashion. I bought a nice bag for my wife and, um, what was really interesting is because a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the experience is very like commoditized. I feel like what was really interesting is they put a return label in the box, which not everybody does that, and it's it's not just a printout; it's actually a return label. And then we actually had to return the product, so I went to the website and scheduled them to pick it up from my house. So taking away like just being super convenient and taking away all the friction of the inconvenience of like dropping it off at a UPS store or FedEx store. I thought that was, that was different from, from other experiences I had. Man, what's cool about that is you're going out of your way to talk about a product you returned. <laughs> I mean, I know. that is a great experience. We all talk about how brands, the, the great way to differentiate is on experience. But then yeah. people generally stop short on returns. And so I love that you use that reference. Yeah. Um, so David, you've been in the industry a long time. It's, it's a family business of sorts. How do you stay current? Um, are, you a, are you a member of any sort of association? Do you meet with your customers? Are there influencers that you follow? Can you yeah. share with us uh, how you stay sharp? Uh, well, Jason, I read a lot of emails. 
and I read a lot of blogs, but I also listen to a couple podcasts. I think one podcast that I really like is um, it's called the Watson Weekly. And it's a gentleman who is, um, he just has a 15 minute digest on a podcast about what's going on in e-commerce uh, and logistics. And it's once a week, it's for 10 minutes. And it's, you know, I have a short attention span. So it's, I get my weekly news about e-commerce from the uh, Watson Digest. I like and as it. Far as, yeah. And then as far as like, you know, people or my network of people that I try to stay sharp with is I'm a member of YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. And it's, you know, it's a national group. And, and I have a group of seven, seven YPOers in my forum. And it's really, it's really great to, to listen to their challenges and their successes. And, and it's nice to, nice to have them as kind of a, 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 a listen to me with, with my challenges um, because they're going through very similar things. So I got a lot of inspiration from them. I, I, uh, I, I'm jealous. I can't join the <laughs> president's club Yeah, because I don't have that title, but yeah. I love that you, uh, you shared a couple of good examples. The, um, the last thing I'll, I'll leave us with is if folks want to learn more about DCL or get in touch with you personally, how should they do that? I think the best way to get in touch with DCL is go to the website, uh, DCL logistics stock or DCL corp.com. And, uh, if they want to reach out to me, they can find me on LinkedIn again, Dave two, like the number two, but it's spelled to you. All right. Excellent. Well, Dave, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us today. You are our first podcast of 2022. And uh, I think you uh, shared some really great insights. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jason. It was a pleasure to do it. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.